Welcome to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We are an evangelical free church seeking to honor God by making disciples that learn about, love like, and live like Jesus. Amen, and please be seated. Good morning, Journey Church. Now, wouldn't you just love it if that song and what we just said uh, was true of us all the time? That I'm just praising the Savior all the day long, every day, 24-7, 52 weeks out of the year. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Because we're called to that. The reality is, is that quite often we are stressed out. We are making our list. We are checking things off our list. We are solving problems, troubleshooting things, believing that if we do enough, fast enough, that somehow we will get to a place of rest and worship and reflection, but it never seems to come. You ever have a week or a day or a season of life like that, where challenge after challenge, opportunity after opportunity, problem after problem keeps coming up, and you got to keep checking them off your list, and you wake up, and from, from the word go, your feet hit the floor, and you're solving problems. You ever have those kinds of weeks? Okay, so this is going back two weeks, and then from there, five weeks back. I had a season of five weeks like that. It began the week of Easter. You got a couple of special services and lots of special guests coming. And normally for a pastor, it's the week after Easter that you get to slow down. But for this man's life, it doubled. Let me tell you just a couple things. I'm going I'm to forget some of these things. But um, it was a busy week, and it began on a Monday morning with a combined staff meeting with Lambsgate and Journey Church staff, and I had the privilege. All these things were good. They were good opportunities and privileges, but I got to lead us in a staff devotional together. Tuesday morning, I got to uh, be interviewed on a national webinar uh, of how, as a lead pastor, do you create a disability-inclusive church culture. Tuesday afternoon, we had dear, dear friends fly into town, drive into town actually from Phoenix, and stay with us for the remainder of the week. And the idea was to take as much time off to spend time with these dear, this dear brother and sister. They're both family, but they're also ministers and missionaries. But taking time off was not in the cards. You see, Sunday was coming. I was going to be kicking off this sermon series in the book of Joshua. So I had to spend time in the, with the Lord and in the Word. Uh, I had a surprise high emotion business negotiation that occurred. It was a surprise and it was intense. I got to take part in a very serious public ceremony downtown. It wasn't like there wasn't any pressure or any preparation for that event as well. I had a manuscript and PowerPoint slide deck that needed to be complete for a conference that I would speak, be speaking at two weeks later. That's taken place. It's already happened now. Um, but also, remember in that week, Sarah Ross was out with a baby, a new baby that we love dearly. Matt Fry, who's been a part of staff and is still on staff, was starting his business 
and in the midst of tax season, and Tyler and Tiffany Hurst went on vacation. So that was my week, and the next week was even harder and more intense, and the one thereafter, and then one more after that. Two Sundays ago, I stood up here, and it was an out-of-body experience. I was glazed over. I was a space cadet. Um, Just because of that season, that intense season of privilege, opportunity, workload, and just running and gunning for the Lord. There were a few times that I was not the best husband. You know, you've been there? You're pressed beyond your capacity. You're being stretched. You go into your stress response. And for that, I've apologized to my wife and my son, Timothy, and other people. But it was intense. Uh, The words of uh, a famous pastor came to mind. And unfortunately, this quote was more real to him than we could have imagined. His name was Bill Hybels. Bill Hybels once said that, I fear that sometimes the pace at which I am pursuing the work of the Lord is destroying the work of the Lord in me. You ever been there? You're actually doing it for the Lord. Work, 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 strive, 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 stress, stress. Stress. You've been there busy days and weeks, overwhelming, anxiety-producing, even confusing circumstances in your life. And it's so easy to think that if we work hard enough, if we're diligent enough, if we're smart enough, you know, shun laziness. We think we don't want to be lazy, we want to be active. That if we can just work hard enough, we can work our way out of this stress and anxiety, but I'm here to tell you this morning and what our text from Joshua chapter 5 is going to teach us. God challenges this approach to life. God has another order of things that he wants us to adopt as his followers. He wants to call us to a life of trusting him and his ways. He wants us to engage in a life of first things first. The title of our sermon. And I've got a key verse for us today that came once again out of my rolling around back and forth through the Psalms. Psalm 50, verse 23. You're going to hear it a couple times today. And man, if, if you could just walk away and apply this verse, it would be solved. This is what God says. The one who offers thanksgiving, it's like the song we just sung, right? This is my story, this is my song. Praising the Savior all the day long. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. Just a life of gratitude and thanksgiving and praise no matter what the season is, no matter what the tempo of your pace of life is, that that we would offer thanksgiving as sacrifice. And then look at this. To the one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. So instead of work, 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 stress, 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 it's praise, adoration, thanksgiving, and ordering our ways rightly. I believe that this is the message of Joshua 5. If you have your Bibles open there, we're going to see three different pictures of this. 
they all cluster together in sequential order, but we see this in real life. The Jews, the, the people of Israel, didn't get this right very often. But in Joshua chapter 5, they get this right. So, give you a little context and background, bring you up to speed this morning. Um, Moses has died, and Joshua has already been commissioned. Spies have been sent into Jericho. Rahab has been converted. Her family would be saved because of the scarlet thread hanging outside her window. Israel, the entire company, has now passed through the Jordan River on dry ground. And in chapter 5, we come to an example of first things first. In a people, a nation, rightly ordering their lives according to God's ways. And the, the message, the bottom line, if you want to fill that in, it's in your bulletin, a little, little uh, outline there. The bottom line, here it is. Prepare your soul before swinging your sword. Prepare your soul before swinging your sword. Have you had those experiences where you go, it's for God, it's for Jesus, it's time to go. And you forgot to prepare your soul. So often, uh, people in crisis, problems to solve, decisions to make. And the question comes back, did you pray about it? Well, no. I wanted to talk about it. When do we pray about it? Who knows, but that God might give you the answer before you even talk about it. Prepare your soul before swinging your sword. I love this. This guy was different than Bill Hybels. His name was Martin Luther. It's a famous quote. It's not about being lazy. We do work, and we work hard. This is what Martin Luther said. Work. Work from early until late. In fact, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. It's not about lazy. It's about first things first. It's about rightly ordering our ways in order to see the salvation of our God. Prepare your soul before swinging your sword. So we're going to read this in chunks and unpack each one as we go. So here's Joshua chapter 5 verses 1 through 9. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Ha'araloth. Translated, the hill of foreskins. There's a picture that you won't be able to get out of your brain. <laughs> Verse 4. This is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war who had come out had been circumcised. Yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. 
For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord swore to their fathers to give to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised. For they were uncircumcised, because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their place in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal. The name Gilgal comes from the Hebrew uh, root word, a wheel, meaning to roll. That God was rolling away the reproach of the Egyptians, perhaps the Egyptians saying, ha. So they escaped from us by divine power. Our armies were destroyed, but ha, they never made it to Canaan, and for 40 years, The remnant of Egypt mocked the people of Israel. But on this day, the reproach of Israel was rolled away. Now, we read in our scripture reading today from 1 Corinthians 10, and I don't know if you caught it, but verse 11 says this. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. We are supposed to read and study and understand the Old Testament examples. And they're written for us. We're the ones on whom the end of the age has come. We're in the final stretch of world and redemptive history. Isn't that cool? And we have the advantage of 2020 vision, hindsight. We get to look and we get to see it illustrated so that we may not do as they did, or when they got it right, when they get it right, we can emulate that in our New Testament Christian faith. And so here's the question, what does this teach us? What, what is the, uh, uh, the lesson for us here today, Journey Church, guests, visitors, people watching online. What's the lesson? The lesson is this, and if you'd like, you can fill in the blank here, but declare yourself the Lord's. Meaning, his precious possession. Declare it. Take the mark of belonging to the Lord. I love this scripture from Isaiah 44, verse 5. And I believe that this is a millennial prophecy. It has not taken place yet. But when Christ returns and reigns on earth, Isaiah the prophet says, this one will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call on the name of Jacob. And another will write on his hand, the Lord's. They will take a mark instead of the mark of the beast. They will take the mark of God on themselves. And we are called to declare ourselves, To take a mark and declare, I am, we are 
the Lord's. Now, think back in the storyline of of Israel and what's going on. They're now on the shores of the promised land after years of being in the wilderness. There's an enormous surge of energy. They want to go and make things happen. There's a surge of confidence that came from the miraculous parting of the Jordan River. There's a renewed sense of hope that the God of Israel is going to give them the promised land of Canaan. And they were there. They're on those shores. Furthermore, we read in verse 1 that the people, the kings, and the generals are completely demoralized. Terrified in any military strategist, any human wisdom would declare... Now is the time to take action. We've got them on the ropes. They'll be so terrified they won't even be able to pick up their sword. Attack! It would have been difficult to restrain their energy and ambition. They were in a hurry to go get some. But God is never in a hurry. And God is a God who calls them and calls us to first things first. He wants to reward those who rightly order their ways to his ways. They were not ready to fight. They weren't ready to swing a sword. Because there was unfinished business left over from the wilderness wanderings. Notice what God says in verse 2. At that time the Lord said to Joshua, Strike while the iron's hot. Your enemies are terrified and demoralized. Attack! It's not what he says. He says, circumcise. Circumcise? Yep, circumcise. And can I just mention that pragmatically, you see it in verse 8, this was terrible timing. It's just like a tactical faux pas. Okay, so we read this in, in a... Genesis 34, that two of the sons of Israel, because of the rape of their sister, convince an entire town called Shechem for all the males to be circumcised so that they could marry and be given in marriage between the people groups. But they were up to something devious. And two went in and wiped out Every single male in Shechem. What's the idea? Why do I point that out? Because circumcising, they're backed up against the Jordan River. They're going to take every adult male and they're going to perform this surgery that renders them completely ineffective for war for days, if not weeks. However, Psalm 50, verse 23, to one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. So they needed to order their way rightly, and God was taking them by the hand and say, do this first. Now, the question is, what in the world is circumcision? Why is it so important that we have a big lesson on it, and they had to do this thing? Well, it was a mark in the flesh given to Abraham 
uh, to be a sign of a covenant that took place between Yahweh God, the one true living God, the eternal God, Yahweh, and Abraham. It was a sign in Abraham's body after he had exercised faith in the God who saves. I need you to understand that. The mark itself did not save or forgive his sins. It came after. In fact, the Apostle Paul wanted to make this really clear in his letter to Roman believers. In Romans chapter 4, verse 11, it says that he received, that's Abraham, received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So for all of you religious people that are looking to religious activities to forgive your sins and save your soul, it doesn't work. Many Christian traditions fall into this camp as well. And yet from the Old Covenant on into the New Covenant, again and again and again, that which sets biblical Christianity apart from every other religious worldview, including many kinds of Christians, is this. Salvation by grace alone through faith alone forgives sin. That is where adoption happens into the family of God. What are the activities? What are things like circumcision? They were to be a mark signifying something that had already taken place. Now there's one little kerfluffle in this, and that is that after Abraham, all male babies should be circumcised on the eighth day. If I could just put a quick note on this, there's always been two Israels. One, ethnic Israel, and the sign of belonging to that ethnic group would be circumcision. And Yahweh God would be faithful to his people, an ethnic people. But the scripture tells us in the New Testament, not all Israel is true Israel. That's the second Israel, spiritual Israel. Spiritual Israel would take the sign of the covenant and they would understand that it argued for another kind of circumcision needed. And in fact, that that other kind of circumcision, for those who had received that first mark, it wasn't their decision. They were eight days old. But it argued for a personal decision to trust Yahweh as their God. Moses said this in Deuteronomy 10. I'm just going to read verses 12 through 16. I think you'll see 16 come up on there. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul? That's more than just with a mark on your body. And to keep the commandments and the statutes of the Lord which I'm commanding you today for your good. God's rules aren't to be a a, a divine fun killer. God's rules are given to provide for us, to protect us, and to allow us to experience spiritual and human flourishing. The commandments are good. We are to rightly order our ways and watch God continually deliver us and we flourish. He goes on, verse 14, Behold, to God, the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of the heavens, the earth 
with all that is in it, yet the Lord set in his, his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all the people. So he's speaking to ethnic Jews at this point, but watch what he does here. He invites them to become spiritual Jews. As you are this day, the Lord set his heart on love for your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all peoples as you are this day. Here's the invitation, verse 16. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. He's inviting them to put faith in Yahweh as God and Savior. Get the picture? Physical circumcision arguing for spiritual circumcision. This act of circumcision had been neglected for 40 years. And the best explanation of that 40-year pause is due to their rebellious, hard-hearted, unbelieving parents. I want you to notice in the storyline that God kept his side of the bargain. That God provided for these rebels. He led them by day and by night. He fed them with manna, the food of angels. He watered them. The scripture says that the soles of their sandals did not wear out for 40 years. Their clothing did not wear out. Yahweh is a covenant-keeping God. He is faithful and keeps up his side of the bargain always. They had not. But guess what? It's a new day. It's a new chapter. It's a new beginning. It's a day for repentance. Oh, I just want to stop and preach this part. How about you and your life? What's been the last week, last month, last year? Is, is the foreskin of your heart removed? Do you have a new covenant heart of faith? Have you been living out of it? Or is perhaps today a day of repentance? It's the first day of the rest of your life. And it's never too late to start living out of a life of faith and following the Lord. Ordering your ways properly. Four reasons that we see in this text why circumcision at this point in their journey. One, to renew the covenant. That's verses 2 through 7. Two, it was to test their obedience. That's verse 8. They were going to be vulnerable. God's going to either protect them or we're all dead. Uh, number three, to roll away the reproach that we talked about. And four, leading into our next vignette or picture is to qualify them to celebrate the Passover. In Exodus 12, only the circumcised were allowed to participate in the Passover feast. Before we get there, here's the question. What's the lesson for us again? What is the mark that we take? Because we did not invite a team of moils today. We are not doing circumcision in that way. What's the mark? Here's the mark. We have a better mark of a better covenant. It is called baptism. This is what the Apostle Paul would say in his letter to the church at Colossae. I mean, he nails it. 
listen to this. Those of you who think, ah, oh, is baptism really a thing? I mean, I'm saved by grace through faith. Do we really have to do that thing? Um, I was sprinkled as a, as a baby. Do I really need to go do that? Well, check this out. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh. He's talking about spiritual circumcision of the heart, a new heart. But then watch this. By the circumcision of Christ... Verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism. Circumcision is an external mark of an inward reality, remember? And Paul just said, and now the new one is baptism. Check, check it out, the rest of what he says here. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. The word here in the Greek, baptism, literally means to immerse. And the picture that is being argued for is water immersion baptism being a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth, who we know to be Jesus the Christ. And Paul is talking to these Christians who had believed and is talking to them about Real circumcision of the heart and the new mark. You are baptized. That is not a perfect one for one, but really close, so much so that Paul would argue for it here. Here's the deal or the question Have you been baptized? Have you been putting that off, wondering if you need that? It's the mark. Of a New Testament, New Covenant believer is a public witness, a public testimony of being identified with Christ. Declare yourself the Lord's. And the official declaration is water baptism. You decide when and where, but do not neglect the mark. We're going to have a baptism in a couple weeks here. Tyler and I will put it together. You need to get baptized and take that mark. That's what we're called to. But what about all of us who have been baptized? What do we do with this? Oh, done. One and done. Let's go. Guess what? We are to live as baptized men and women. Yes, it's a point in time and it's something that we do. But we are to live daily in mind of what that means. I love what Paul says in Galatians 2.20. This is the mindset that we live out of. For I have been crucified with Christ, death, burial. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives through me, resurrection. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So we get to get baptized publicly once. And then we get to live as baptized men and women from here until eternity. Amen? Receive the mark of the new covenant and live the mark of the new covenant. Declare yourself the Lord's. Now, verse 10. Look at what verse 10 says. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And you go, oh good, they got circumcised. We're ready. Take up your sword. 
attack. No, not yet. You're not ready yet. Not only were they to take the mark of belonging to the Lord, they were to remember their redemption. Each one that had exercised faith in Yahweh as their God. The whole nation having been delivered out of Egypt and and slavery. And then to be delivered through the Red Sea. And then to be preserved through the years of rebellion. Until each one of their parents had died in the sands of the Sinai. The years of wandering and confusion. And now they had passed through the waters of the Jordan. And it's a new day and a new chapter. And before they picked up their sword to prepare their soul and to remember the cost of their redemption individually and collectively. Remember your redemption. I want you to notice God's timing is perfect in all these events. The selection of the Passover lamb was to take place on the 10th day of the first month. That's the exact day that they passed through the waters of the Jordan. And then at twilight on the 14th day, four days later, they were to kill the Passover lamb, which would be the beginning of Passover. Passover had only been observed two times in history at this point. Once on the night that they were delivered from Egypt, the death of all firstborn males who did not have the blood of the lamb on their doorposts. Second time, shortly thereafter, at the foot of Mount Sinai. After that, they sent in the 12 spies. They came back. Only two said, we can do this. The rest said, we can't do this. And the entire nation rebels. And so the Passover was suspended. And for 38 years, they wander in the desert And they do not send or or celebrate the Passover. But the 40 years are over. The crossing of the Jordan is this new chapter. Their redemption from Egypt and futility in the desert is here. And what's the lesson for us this morning? Well, just as we have a better mark for a better covenant... We have a better redemption in a better Passover lamb. In this same spot, centuries later, John the baptizer was baptizing. In John's gospel, that's the apostle John, not John the Baptist, but the apostle John is recording these events, and he talks about John the Baptist Seeing Jesus coming out to the Jordan River to this very spot to be baptized. And we read this in John 1, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He doesn't just cover the sins and allow the death angel to pass over. He forgives and removes sin. A better redemption And a better Passover lamb. The broken body of Jesus that we celebrate, the Lord's Supper, has both fulfilled 
and replaced the Passover celebration. Communion, we call it. It's the fulfillment and replacement. Based on the same event, seamlessly, it was Jesus in the upper room that instituted the Lord's Supper, but he was actually fulfilling and explaining, and they were partaking in the Passover. And now, as New Testament believers, we remember the broken body of Jesus which is given to us for the forgiveness of our sins. But not only that, the shed blood of Jesus. After supper, he held the cup and he said, this represents the new covenant in my blood. What's the new covenant? The circumcised heart. Jesus would make possible the new covenant, circumcised heart. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, Moses says, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring. Yes, exercise faith, circumcise your heart, but ultimately he's the one that supplies the new covenant heart. God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. He wants us to flourish. Flourishing is for those who order their ways rightly. So before swinging your sword, prepare your soul. Declare yourself the Lord's and remember your redemption. Now, quick interlude getting through to the final vignette. I want to read this. I want you to just notice how God provided during these moments. They're backed up against the Jordan. Their men are in pain in trying to heal from a pretty intense procedure. They're reflecting on their redemption, and watch what God does for them. Verse 11 and 12. The day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate the produce of the land. Unleavened cakes and parched grain. So it's the feast of unleavened bread that follows the Passover. In verse 12, the manna ceased that day after they ate of the produce of the land, and there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. Yeah, I mean, the feast of unleavened bread always comes after the Passover. It's actually connected. For one week, they would eat bread made out of the barley. It was the barley harvest. And it was all there for them. It was stored up for them. The the farmers that lived in that region fled into the city, leaving their storehouses for the people of God. I'm, I'm reminded of Psalm 23. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The table had been prepared, and they began to partake in the fruit of a land that they didn't grow. And God just says, here, here is your first taste of a land, quote, flowing with milk and honey. God providing for them. I love this. This is, again, from my quiet time, Psalm 81, verses 10 and 16, where the Lord promises this not only to them, and their offspring, but to us in the new covenant. It says, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. God, I'm, I need, I need ah, I'm hungry. Ah. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. And then verse 16, he would feed you with the finest of wheat and with honey from the rock I would satisfy you. And here's why I just wanted to, to 
not miss that text is I know there are so many people right now in our church that are struggling. They lost their jobs recently, laid off, working through some really hard things, scary things, difficult things. And I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's, we're, we're flipping. I'm saying first things first, rightly order your life. I've, I've been young. Now I'm starting to be a little bit older. Every single one of these gray hairs is legit. I'm not spray painting these people. But I'm telling you, you look back, you go, God, how did you make a way? How did you do that? How did you sustain us? And I don't know how he's going to do it, but he just keeps doing it for those who rightly order their ways. He keeps on being faithful to us. The finest of wheat and honey from a rock. Well, here's the final vignette, verse 13. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with drawn sword in hand. Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No. Or you could translate that, Neither. No, but I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua hits the deck, falls on his face to the earth, and worships him and says, What does the Lord say to his servant? As the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Circumcision is complete. Passover observed, Feast of Unleavened Bread, manna ceases. Joshua is finally back to where he was 40 years earlier. He was one of the two good spies that says, we can do this. And but, but because of the rebellion of the people, he was forced to go another 40 years in the desert. And now he's ready and he believes God. He believed God 40 years ago, but there's still just this one problem. In Deuteronomy, we hear the report of the spies and that the cities, you can see it in Deuteronomy 128, the cities are great and fortified up to the heavens. These are enormously uh, dense and packed and tall cities. And Joshua's going, look, I believe you, but this is confusing. And perhaps, I imagine it's in the evening, it doesn't say that, but he's praying with eyes open taking deep breaths, trying to rightly order his life. But this is impossible. I, I don't know how, but he, but he saw a miracle a couple times, many miracles. He goes, I don't know how you're going to do this. So he's in this prayerful meditation. God, you're going to have to give me some answers when something startles him. Someone appears seemingly out of nowhere with a brandished sword. And Joshua confronts him. Who are you? Are you for us or our enemies? Which side are you on? And this individual says, nope, I don't work like that. I'm over and above all of that. But I'm the commander of the armies of the Lord. And Joshua catches the signal. And he drops on his face. He recognizes him as no mere man. Nor as a regular angel. He drops on his face and worships, and this individual receives worship. Why is that so significant? Because good angels do not and will not receive worship. But this angelic messenger receives worship. Okay, I get that from, from uh, Revelation 22, 
the Apostle John sees this magnificent creature. And he drops in worship. And the magnificent creature says, get up, don't do that. I am a fellow servant. You must not worship me. Worship God only. And yet we have this individual receiving worship. So who who is that individual? Uh, This is a theophany or a Christophany. It's an embodiment. It is a physical manifestation of Yahweh himself. This is a manifestation of a pre-incarnate Christ. The pre-incarnate Christ. He pops into time and space just as he did with Abraham when Abraham was under the oak at Mamre, just as he did with Jacob at at the Peniel and and had a, a, a wrestling match with Jacob, just as he did with Moses at the burning bush. In exact parallel language, take your sandals off your feet, for the ground that you're standing upon is holy ground. What's up with that? Here's the picture. The sandals have been on my feet wandering in the wilderness. A wilderness of rebellion and lostness. Now my feet are standing on the shores of of, of a blood-defiled and sexually immoral land of Canaan. The ground is polluted and defiled and I've been walking. And these, these have symbolically picked up the filth of the land. But the feet of the man of God are holy. How beautiful on the feet. On the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. His feet are are beautiful, but God says, this space right here, this is not polluted, defiled land. This is holy ground. Take off your shoes. And Joshua did so. So what's the, the picture that's taking place? Joshua is the man in charge. He is the commander. He is the general. He is the new Moses. But he meets someone far greater than him, and he instantly doesn't just take a knee. He actually hits the deck on his face, and he submits to the authority of Christ. He, was, he is so anxious, go, hey, Lord, how do you want this to go? What, what do you say? I'm a smart guy. I'm a powerful guy. I'm a, I'm a, a successful guy. But there's nobody like the Lord. And when it comes to who's in charge, I am not in charge. You are. What do you want me to do? Oh, that we would have the spirit of Joshua. When we get to a place in life where we got plenty of money and plenty of degrees and plenty of significance, we seem like we can solve everything with our our abilities. Have you met Christ? Will you surrender yourself? Say, hey, not my way, but yours be done. First things first, to rightly order my heart and my life to surrender to a far greater general than myself. And from now on, at best, I am second in command. To the one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. This morning as we wrap this up, I want to ask you, have you taken the mark of the new covenant? Have you been baptized? Is that a question? Keep going back and forth. Do I really need to do that? My parents sprinkled me. That's good enough. That's not in the New Testament. 
to get baptized. The rest of us, to live it out. Why this duplicity of, yeah, I, I declared Jesus as Lord and Savior, but now I'm scheming and trying to figure it out on my own. I will manipulate, I will backbite, I will, whatever, I'm going to get in there and play in the gray. I'll figure it out. Instead of living in the newness of life as a man or woman of God. Secondly, have you reflected on and remembered the price of your redemption? Thirdly, have you surrendered your heart, surrendered your sword, surrendered your life and your will to the authority of Jesus? Wonder if today there's some business that you need to do with the Almighty and just bow your head and your heart and surrender yourself. Say, Lord, I want to be a baptized man or woman of God. I never want to forget that I've been bought with a price, with the precious blood of Jesus. My life's been redeemed from futile, empty, silly ways. I want to live like it. And from here on out, you're the boss. And I will live out a life of worship as if standing on holy ground. Prepare your soul before swinging your sword. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. Father, we are an active and busy people. We have lots of intelligence. We've got lots of energy and try and strive and we're not asking that you make us lazy. We're asking that we would rightly order our lives individually and corporately. First things first. Help us to trust you and your timing. Lord, that each day we would begin not with more activity and more building of lists and checking things off from yesterday, but meeting with you. Being in your presence, taking in your word, reflecting on your goodness, giving you a sacrifice of praise. Oh, we want to be those people, and we ask that it would be so out of new hearts, new covenant, circumcised hearts. We pray this in Jesus' precious name together. Amen. Thank you for listening to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We'd love to have you join us in person on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. You can find out more about us at journeyefc.org.